from a very young age, I suppose I, I learned two key skills. One was this idea of earn it. There's opportunity everywhere to earn money. And that's a really important skill, I think, to teach our children. And the second thing is to keep it. The role of parents in setting children's understanding and habits around money are, are key. The kind of frightening statistic is that our money-saving habits are formed by the age of seven. Welcome to the Lessons Outside the Classroom podcast. I'm your host, John Anno, and this is the place where I interview experts and professionals about a range of topics related to the development of soft skills in children. You'll also get practical tips and advice on how you can help your child develop these skills. If you have a specific topic you'd like covered, please email on lessonsoutside at gmail.com. Today, I'm talking to Robert Gardner. He's the founder of money education charity, Red Start to Educate, which has the aim of teaching one million children how to budget, save and invest. He also chairs the Children Education Council, which started a program called Kickstart Money, which is a nationwide forum to evidence that financial education works from a very young age and should be on the primary school syllabus. Robert's also written a children's book called Save Your Acorns, which has some great messages about saving, spending and investing. Robert, thanks so much for coming on the show. Great to be on the show. Thanks, John. Um, to kick off, um, it would be great if you could give the listeners an, an insight into your, your early experiences and how that has affected your, your relationship with money. Yeah, so as you know, I, I, I like to sort of teach young people three things, really, how to earn it, how to keep it, and how to grow it. And growing up, uh, my, my parents were teachers and we lived in various countries, but we, we lived in Argentina for a bit. And at the time, inflation was running at over 30% a month. And every month, my parents would get paid and they'd take us out, you know, get our hair cut, buy us new clothes, we'd go shopping. Uh, and I remember going into the supermarket and uh, prices would change every day. And if you could buy the stuff before the price changed, then you could buy it at the old price. The second thing I remember when I was at school in Argentina is that, that, that I had no pocket money, but I used to watch the older boys and girls, you know, at lunchtime, playtime, drinking Coca-Cola and Fanta, and they'd just leave their bottles. And if you collected those glass bottles and took it back, you, you, you got paid, you know, you got given some money for returning the bottles. So from a very young age, I suppose I, I learned two key skills. One was this idea of earn it. There's opportunity everywhere to earn money. And that's a really important skill, I think, to teach our children. And the second thing is to keep it. I mean, most people haven't experienced inflation the way I did uh, and, and haven't. But, but keeping hold of our, our, our money is absolutely key to building sort of financial well-being. And we can talk more about that later. Great. Um, it, it seems by the sort of your the brief example that a lot of your experiences has been more experiential. I mean, did rather than your parents sit you down specifically to say, right, these are the lessons. Is that, would that be the case? And would you say that this is, that be the best way to, to learn about, about finances, to learn about or to teach kids about finances? Yeah. I mean, look, I think they, they role modeled it. My, my parents are, are baby boomers uh, and, and so sort of grew up with that, I'm guessing post-World War II austerity. So probably being wise with spending money and, and not just spending money anywhere. I, I was very aware that they used to save money in the 
bank account. I was aware that my dad would have to go and change the money. Uh, he used to drive to this house, this big scary house with big black metal bars and like Dobermans and exchange either pesos or australs, depending on, on when it was, into dollars because it would inflate away. Now, I don't think they sat us down and explained that to us, but because it was something that happened every month, we just kind of knew it. Uh, and I remember being seven years old, we go traveling around Peru and Bolivia and Brazil, and I, and I knew all the exchange rates. So we'd get given, let's say, spending money or in dollars, and I, and I knew what those dollars were, were, were worth. Uh, now, are a lot of... There's actually a survey that's literally just come out in the US. I think over a quarter of people learn their sort of financial habits or go to their parents for financial advice. So the, the role of parents in setting these sort of children's understanding uh, and habits around money are, are key. Uh, the, 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 the kind of frightening statistic is that our money-saving habits are formed by the age of seven. So this was research done by Cambridge University for the Money Advice Service in 2013 uh, that, that says that these kind of habits and behaviours are formed by the age of seven, which is why I'm so keen on, on getting financial education onto the primary school syllabus. Well, wow. and I guess with that, um, to your question, when should we start teaching our children about money? So look, I'm, my personal view is in an age-appropriate way, uh, as as soon as possible for and uh, let, let's say from reception to start of primary school so let's say without even money you can create a currency so uh, you know i wrote this children's book called save your acorns and i created this printout print off some acorns and you can give your kids 20 acorns i mean literally you just print them out uh and then you can say well look, if you want to if they're really young children that if you want to watch paw patrol or peppa pig that'll be one acorn if you want to watch a movie, that might be three or four. So it doesn't even require money. It's this idea of empowering your child to decide how they want to spend their currency, be it acorns or, or money. Uh, and you know, in 2015, I think Metro did a study of the top 30 things we wish we'd learned at school but didn't. Four of the top five were kind of to do with finance. The other one was, you know, how to change a plug. But number one was how to budget. So that idea of just printing off acorns, putting the children in power of when they watch TV and how much, and then when they run out of those acorns, they can't watch any more, is the foundation of building that kind of core skill of budgeting. And I guess you've, you, know, you founded the charity Red Start Educate with the aim of teaching a million children how to budget. I mean, with that, how do you go about teaching kids about money how do you bring it to life practically can you talk us through um perhaps some of the things you do through red start educate some of your workshops yeah so actually just to finish it off it's kind of we want to plant the seeds for financial capability and it's really teaching them how to budget how to save how to invest and how to give back so it's those four things and it's the budgeting the saving and investing that that, that creates uh wealth uh, over over the long term Look, I, I think, you know, in the beginning you asked me, or just earlier you said, you know, was it experiential or did your parents sit you down? Actually, all of the stuff that we do with our kids is experiential. So, it, you know, we're not kind of delivering uh, send or, or tell 
presentation. So we've developed this game called Money Matters. Uh, and the kids, we explain the rules of the game to the kids and they play it. And as they play it, we stop and we see who's winning and who's losing. And we have a conversation about why. Uh, and then we tease out the lessons of the game. So it's a game of games. The overall game is, you know, the kids have £500 each in fictional money and they can choose where they uh, where they want to play. And there are different stations. There's a bank where you can put your money on deposit. There's a station called Fighting Fit where you can do exercises and earn money. Uh, there's a game which is basically a dartboard where the kids can learn about risk and return. You can learn about whether you're good at something or not. So this idea that skill, and if you're good at something, pursue it. If you're not, don't. Uh, we have this game called Built to Last, which teaches kids compound interest, which is an incredibly complex abstract subject to teach, but we teach it using Montessori building uh, Montessori principles, so using building blocks. So it's actually a very tactile, engaging way of at least teaching the experience of, of compounding. Uh, and again, it teaches kids about risk and return. It teaches kids about diversification. It teaches kids that, that actually, if you sort of practice it, you can get better. But my favorite bit is that we scam the kids. We have this character called Rich Ricky. And like, you know, halfway through the game, he calls up and he offers to double the money uh, for for the kids. Uh, and I mean, the amazing thing is that, that, that normally by the end of the game, we have a couple of kids crying. And that's because we're actually trying to give them the emotional experience of losing something and being conned, being tricked, because so many people today in the UK and around the world uh, get scammed financially. And, and actually, you know, the financial scamming is on the up. Brilliant. And I guess money is, is quite an emotive and in some parts taboo subject. And there might be some um, people listening that might say, well, we shouldn't really be talking to our children this young about money and perhaps we we might be worrying them we might be stressing them out i guess from your your experience um at red start what, what would you what would you say to that so a couple of a couple of observations you know one i i completely uh understand that 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 feeling and and actually interestingly we'd rather so the point about it being taboo is that parents would rather talk to their children about sex than about money uh the the second thing is, I think, hopefully, in the example I gave you earlier about acorns and budgeting, it's really about teaching delayed gratification. It's teaching about the making children responsible for the allocation of their time. Uh, this stuff, big sort of health warning on all of this, and I think most of your listeners are sort of in the primary school age, all of this stuff has to be done in an age-appropriate uh, way. Uh, but finally... About two years ago, I can't remember when exactly whether it was 2016, 2017, but uh, the Money Advice Service ran a program in, in, in Wales called Talk, Learn, Do, where they took parents with primary school kids, and it, it was two-hour sessions, and it was on a whole host of subjects. And in it, they added a kind of financial education module. And what they were trying to do was track the impact on kids around wants and needs so it's not really about money but i mean we've all been there right we've been at the supermarket we're checking out suddenly your child wants a chocolate bar or a magazine you, you basically get sabotaged by your child as they try and sort of scream and shout and embarrass you into <laughs> uh, into buying something and 
and and so th- th- it was this conversation about wants and needs and delayed gratification and they tracked the impact on these children a month after three months after six months after and even two years after to see whether just that one two-hour intervention had made a difference which was the purpose of of the research and and it and it, and it did in quite a significant impact the the second the second uh, thing they measured was just on the parents just as a byproduct that wasn't the reason and they found that actually the parents themselves got a lot better at budgeting and being a little bit more self-aware about where they were spending money and a bit more mindful about money so without it doesn't need to be taboo or it doesn't need to be crass let's say speaking to your children about wants and needs what's a want and what's a need when they want something getting them to sort of write it down and plan it uh, and really think about it I, I think you know maybe that makes it less about money and just more about just sort of sensible financial planning which which maybe is a little bit less taboo yeah, absolutely and i guess you know we you've talked about some statistics here what if you're a parent that that appreciates the need for this but actually you feel that as a parent you perhaps don't have the financial knowledge um you know you you seem like you're very fortunate that you had parents that kind of that that acted the the way that they should financially and they they're very very savvy but what if you're a parent that that is aware that actually not my financial habits aren't necessarily the best how do you go about i guess changing that in order to better equip your your children yeah, so John, I mean, I think the first thing to say is that most parents feel that way, and it's not surprising because we haven't ever taught it. So, you know, I'd be surprised if more than a third of adults felt confident uh, about their own financial capability, let alone sort of teaching it and, and role modeling it to their children. I think the second thing I'd say is that my mum and dad were very good at teaching us about hard work and earning money and budgeting, but they didn't understand the the third part which was growing it and how to invest it i only learned that because i started my career working in 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 the city uh, and then i went on to advise pension funds and i discovered this wonderful concept called compound interest and investing Uh, and actually it's the combination of the earn it the keep it and grow it which is the key to wealth creation and actually the earn it and keep it bit might stop you falling into debt but it doesn't help you learn how to make money work for you and, and grow and work while you're sleeping. Uh, now, that's, you know, my, my view is that one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is I think in the UK, yes, we have an income inequality problem, but actually we have a wealth inequality problem and that wealth inequality is driven by those who understand the stuff I'm talking about and those that don't. And I just think it's unfair. I think everyone should know these kind of basic foundational building blocks. Now, there are a number of charities out there. There are a number of resources uh, where you can get stuff, but you know they're just not well publicised. They're just not well. They're they're not well known. But you could probably, if you're a parent at your school, you could definitely ask your head teacher, what are they doing about it? What are they? Uh, have they thought about getting an external charity in to help? If your child is a kind of girls girl guide or scout uh you know there have been badges introduced around you know managing your money and budgeting and wants and needs so with a little bit of homework you can find the sort of help you need to help you know help your children understand how money works and how to make it work for them brilliant and 
To your point earlier, I mean, I was reading a, a piece of research done this month actually by Yorkshire Building Society, which just going back to your your point about um, social inequality was quite interesting. And it, I'll read a couple of stats here. It's that 26% of people's savings would last them a matter of weeks if they lost their job. Um, one in seven people don't have any savings at all. Um, the thing that was quite interesting uh, that I found quite fascinating was the fact that high earners were just as likely to struggle. Their, their research showed that 43% of people earning £100,000 or more said that if they lost their job, they wouldn't be able to cope financially for more than three months. And this is compared to 51% of people earning less than £15,000 a year. So I think to your point, this idea of financial literacy, um, financial education, isn't something that's only for people who, who don't earn a lot of money. I think it, it spans everyone. Yeah, so d- d- not wanting to sort of do too many stats, but the the Office of National Statistics does this study every year called the Wealth Asset Study. And it basically looks at the distribution of wealth by different income levels. Uh, and it splits it up into 10 income levels. And it finds that, that every income level within that bucket, there were people who are sort of wealthier by a lot in the content. You know, so people who earn 40 grand, there'll be people who are far wealthier than people who earn 40 grand who, who often may even be in debt and the same all the way through as you say to a hundred thousand when i go into schools I, I teach children the magic of wealth creation so earn it keep it grow it and then i say use this framework to understand whether someone is wealthy or not and the point is is that the key to wealth is not any more money and the anecdotal example i give is i say who here has heard of johnny depp and who here has heard of Michael Jordan? Now let's run through Earn It, Keep It Great. Does Johnny Depp earn lots of money? Yes, he's in lots of movies. He's Captain Jack Sparrow. You know, kids all know who, who he is. Does he know how to keep it? Half go yes, half go no. You ask both of them and, and why. Uh, the reality is he can't keep it. He spends more money than he earns, like, the, like those people on £100,000. And because he, because he spends more money than he earns, he doesn't keep any money and he doesn't grow it. And in fact, he's broke. You know, his nickname is Johnny Depp. And actually, if you start looking at the statistics around professional footballers, professional rugby players, professional American football players, MBAs, uh, stars, you know, there's a reason why a lot of famous bands in the nineties are coming back to, to, to do <laughs> gigs again. It's, it's not it's because they need the money. They didn't, they didn't put aside enough and, and grow it. Some of it loved it. But, but some of them have just not been astute savers and investors. Contrast that with Michael Jordan. So Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, uh, he had career earnings of $93 million. Now, that's a big number, but he's worth something insane, like $2.8 billion. Wow. So multiples of his $93 million. And that's because he understood or he surrounded himself with people who helped him to earn it, keep it, and grow it. And... Yeah, this is all about financial capability. So it starts with financial confidence. But And this is my point about it doesn't need to be about money unless we teach our kids age seven about wants and needs. And at age seven, it's, you know, a chocolate bar. Or for my daughter, you know, it's a, it's a magazine. But that just later on in life is a, a brand new BMW. Mm. What's wrong with your old car? 
you know it's a it's a new smartphone and and increasingly so many of these things were available on debt you've got to remember that a lot of these financial products didn't exist 50 years ago so the idea that you could buy your fridge a tv your car your phone all on some kind of debt product higher purchase is a relatively new thing that most people who buy their stuff through that way don't really understand and don't really understand the true cost uh, of, of buying of buying stuff using financing uh, just a, a question that this seems so fundamental and, and so important i know you're campaigning why isn't this part of the the curriculum look i mean i think it's just one of those things that people don't really think about and then you know, in the UK, more recently, we've been diverted by, by by other things, and there isn't the headspace in, let's say, the Department of Education. I think the second thing is creating the longitudinal evidence that this works. So people accept it, you know, that there's a financial capability issue and see this as a global as a global challenge and and recommend financial literacy as a solution. But look. There are a number of people who rightly say, "Well, look, where's the evidence this is works?" You know, and so the, the the sort of evidence and the research is kind of, and you need to do longitudinal studies so over periods of time on the same children uh, have only just started to, to to take effect. The second thing is, let's you know, what hasn't happened is people aren't learning from each other. So, you know, the US are doing the same, Canada doing the same. Australia, New Zealand, I think Australia took over a decade to get it onto their school curriculum. In the US, it's state by state. In Canada, it's state by state. Uh, When you see it in the states, states that provide financial education have higher savings ratios and lower debt problems. So similar to that Yorkshire research. In the US, giving children financial education uh, and helping them to save for university and they have these sort of special saving and investment programs that do it the kids that that sign up for these things are actually far more likely to go to college than not so there's some real uh benefits what's interesting in the uk the department of education really care about stem uh, and within stem they really care about maths and so one of the things that we're doing at Red Start is to be able to demonstrate that financial education improves key stage one and two maths results because right. that's what gets them excited. So we've reversed the problem. And the reason why that is is because a lot of children fail to even understand the maths question because they don't even understand the context of the question. So think, you know, you've got a house and there's a gas meter and you read the gas meter and then you come back and you read it again and you've got to calculate how much has been spent. There's some mass in that, but actually there's some context around financial education or, 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 or contextualization or, or questions around interest rates. You know, you put money in the bank account uh, for one year and then you put it in for three years and how much do you have? And then the other challenge, John, is sadly the Department of Education or schools, the primary schools that your listeners' children go to, haven't had a real increase in budget since basically over 10 years ago, which means that in real terms, so if you allow for inflation, they've got half the money they have today than they had 10 years ago, and they've probably got more kids. So 
and you, you, you'll know this, and I'm, your listeners will know this. But, you know, primary schools are kind of just you know, just behind the NHS in terms of just trying to sort of make do, d- d- deliver stuff. So, adding something on extra to the fun and onto the curriculum is going to be really, really hard. Which again is why we're thinking about how can you integrate this? How can you make it part? You know, this isn't about giving. This isn't about putting something into school education that you're going to take key stage one or key stage two or GCSE in. This is about you know life skills, life habits, and how do we integrate that into into education? And if done properly, you can teach financial education in history and geography, in maths. It doesn't just have to be taught in maths. Really interesting. That's an even more of a reason why I guess from a parental perspective, um, we as parents, I guess, need to t- pick up that slack um, in these areas. And w- one question I have is. Again, just in terms of the education part, you know, we're now in an era where tech rules. We're moving into a cashless society where, you know, just a tap of your mobile phone or a tap of a card means that you spent some some money. Um, what do you think are some of the main challenges that come with you know managing money in this type of environment? And do you think it it makes it potentially harder to teach our children because that there's nothing or there's few things that are tangible? So you know, 10, 15 years ago when I was a child, you know, I had the £5 note, £10 note to hold, but now it's, you go to a shop, it's on card, and you just, as I said, you just tap the card. So absolutely, it's a major challenge. So just make, it makes the challenge even harder. So, you know, I remember when I was at university and I used to budget my week by, I'd take the cash out and if I spent it all <laughs> and I didn't have anything else, you know, I couldn't afford a drink or I couldn't afford chips and cheese from the kebab van. Uh, now the the same is true with with kids and when they, when they watch it actually anecdotally and I'm I'm sure this will resonate with your listeners when the kids literally think money comes out that hole in the wall <laughs> uh, like and they have no context around the, the the parents have to work to feed that hole in the wall and different different jobs have different ways of earning uh, money. So one of the things I try and do with my, with my girls is pay, give them my card to pay when we're doing you know standard transactions, and it's from my wallet, and it and it and it normalizes it. But the second thing I try and do, not necessarily in that moment, but but separate, is explain that you know when they're unhappy that I have to go to work, I'm not there, and say, so, look, I'm I'm working because that's what gives mummy and daddy the money that's on that card that pays for us to be in the house that pays for us to have food that pays for us to, to to have holidays so that they understand that it all sort of fits together rather than i suppose this goes back to the point about is it taboo or not rather than not having that conversation and then no one has it and then suddenly a child turns 18 and they leave home and they get given store cards and 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 they don't you know they don't know what tax is they don't realize when they get their first job that what they thought they were going to get paid versus what hits their bank account is a lot less. So I suppose there's actually quite a lot of complexity. What I'm getting here is that it's very much about including them in the process. Um, and I think to your point about even it's a case of actually taking that card and paying, it's it's a little gesture, but it's a gesture that, that includes them and even for a split moment gets them to start thinking um, about what's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it's all about that. And I think, you know, I'm a big believer in starting pocket money early. So four or five, so reception. Uh, now, here's the trick, though. When they, when you're out shopping, 
and they want that magazine or they, they go, no, you've got the pocket money, you decide when you're on holiday. So you can't do both. If you do the pocket money and buy them whatever they want, that's, that's like the, what you're trying to do. <laughs> the goal here is to try and put them in control of how they spend their money or their resource. So if you think about the earlier example, which wasn't about money, you're giving them a resource, 20 acorns, and you're empowering them to decide when they want something they want to do. And then also what you're doing is you're creating a control environment in which you can say, no, you've watched too many cartoons or you can buy your sweets. Okay, you've got no more money and you can't buy that. Or actually, if you save that up, you can buy them. So you're trying to put them in the position where they're responsible and accountable for small financial decisions that are age appropriate from a young age. Interesting. So by the time they're you know, young adults, they're confident about this stuff. And that's going to be my next point. Um, even if it's a case of, you know, initially, as I'd imagine, perhaps my kids might want to do, um, they want to spend all of their money. Um, I guess you let them do that. You let them learn and kind of go for the process of not having any money. Absolutely. And, you know, if you've got, you know, more than one child, you'll often have one who's probably more naturally minded to save and one who's more naturally minded to spend. And nothing is starker than when you're on holiday, when one sibling has spent all their money day one, <laughs> of the holiday and the other has got it. And, but you know, you can have a conversation about that and you can talk about next time you go on holiday or, so it's not about stopping them doing it. It's about building that awareness and having a conversation. Great. Um, and I guess just if you can carry on with some of this tips and advice, um, so starting that pocket money, how do we start to, cause you mentioned compounding, you mentioned interest. How could we perhaps using that technique start to incorporate some of those ideas um into that so i mean just think off the top of my head you know would it be something like okay you give your son or daughter pocket money every every week um at the beginning of the next week if there's a certain amount of money left in you give them more i mean how could we start to do that i think you talk about compound interest which if i understand rightly is is earning interest on interest yeah that's correct yeah yeah and i think that as you say is it's pretty powerful and if we can get those habits in how do we start to um you know feed those in at those at that young age so, so i think i talked about you know we kind of want to teach our children how many how money works and that's the issues of cashless society of budgeting and wants and needs and you know money is a tool really uh, and we just need to teach people how to use it and then how to make money work for you, that's the compound interest. That's the magic. That's what Albert Einstein said is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. Look, you're right. That creating an incentive, what, what you talked about there is an incentivized savings that is encouraging people to, to, to young people to defer or your kids to defer gratification and, and be rewarded for doing it. Uh, so that's definitely a, a great way of sort of building that that habit. One, one, one of the challenges that we face in, let's say, zooming out from our kids in wider society is, you know, interest rates are very low. So putting our money in the bank doesn't really do anything. And in fact, you know, it may not even stay above inflation. And here's, here's the sort of real issue is that actually, therefore, you need to invest your money when I'm talking about investing your money, I'm talking about maybe investing in shares and companies owning property. Uh, and what's happening here is you're being paid a return for taking uncertainty. So this is different from putting your money in the bank. And day to day, week to week, 
month to month, the stock market will go up and down in value. But but so wealthy people, people like Warren Buffett, you know, the great families who've made lots of wealth over hundreds of years know that if you invest in good companies and in good properties, that actually over sort of rolling 10-year periods of time, you make you can make you know really good uh, amounts of interest. You can sort of double your money every 10 years, maybe even more if you do it well. Now, what people don't realize is that the government incentivizes us to do that. You know, there's putting money in a pension. Now, you can actually open a pension for your child. So from day zero, or from the, you know, the moment you registered your child, you can actually open a pension for them. And for every pound you put in, the government gives you 25p. And I, I often share this sort of anecdote that actually if you open a pension for your child from birth and put in 50p a day until the age of 10 and then stop and then leave it, that, that 50p a day for those first 10 years will be worth over £100,000 by the time they turn 65. Wow. So if it was a pound a day, that would be worth over £200,000. So there's a couple of things going on there. One, you know, I'm not sure how many of your listeners are aware that you can open a pension for your child. I'm and they get tax, you get tax relief. The government is going to give them 25p for every pound to incentivize them or the parents or grandparents or aunties and uncles to save for their long-term financial future. Two, because you're putting money in a pension, you know, you're going to be putting it away for 50, 60 years. You can afford and should be taking invest and investing it in the stock market. Uh, and as I say, over sort of long periods of time, the ups and downs that we see on the news every day get smoothed out and you can make, uh, you know, really high rates uh, of return. And as I say, sort of think about doubling your money every 10 years. Wow. So it's interesting because um, sometimes you think, oh, I don't have enough. But what you're saying here is just start off small. Um, and I guess yeah. like, your, like your book, Save Your Acorns, it, it will grow. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, is, it is exactly that. That you. What I want to try and help people understand is that you can literally just start with 50p a day, £5 a week, uh, and, and make a real difference. And guess what? As they get older you can start to have a conversation with your children about the fact that their money is invested in Google or Apple mm. or the stuff that they want to buy. And you say, well, actually, I know you want to buy that stuff, but you also own a little bit of that stuff. And that's pretty cool. And, and you know, what a separate issue is that, you know, because people don't understand this stuff, they feel excluded from capitalism. They feel excluded from growth in the global economy because they don't feel like they own part of it. Well, actually, when you're investing, when you're putting your pension and your other investments in this stuff, you're, you're participating in the global economy. You're participating in the success and growth of these companies. Uh, and actually, that, that builds wealth for you. And what we need to make sure is that everyone participates in that wealth creation, not just those who know and understand it. Brilliant. Um, got a couple of other things. The first is... You know, you've given a few really great tips uh, in terms of pocket money and really kind of empowering um, children. Have you got any other practical tips that, that our listeners could, could take away uh, and start, start trialing with, with their children? I think, look, nailing wants and needs and when they ask for something, getting them to write it down and think about is it a want or a need. 
regardless of whether it's a want and a need, if they really want it, sitting down with them and trying to come up with a plan for it. So that might be how many weeks pocket money will it take you to buy that? Or, okay, well, how can you go about earning it? Maybe you could clean grandma and granddad's car. Maybe you can clean the neighbor's car. Maybe you can do some gardening. Maybe we can you know, make some cakes and try and sell them down the street. I think once you go beyond a task such as cleaning a car to let's make something and try and sell it, then you're really teaching them entrepreneurialism. You're teaching them sales skills, which are vital skills. Brilliant. Um, this has been absolutely fascinating, um, Robert. I've really enjoyed, hopefully our, our listeners have too, and we've got some really, uh, really useful information and some, some practical advice. And um, For anyone that wants to, to find out more about you, the work that you do, um, where, can, where can they find out more? So I suppose website, saveyouracorns.com. Uh, or you can sort of look me up on on LinkedIn. Probably best best way to to, to get in uh, get in touch, and I can sort of point people to Red Star, Save Your Acorns, or, or other resources, depending. And actually, I don't know if you if if you do this, but I could give you a whole load of links, not not just to my stuff, but you know, like the Money Advice Service, some of the other things I've mentioned to to have as a bit of a sort of toolkit at, at the end of your podcast that would be brilliant i think that'd be really useful for our for our listeners and robert thank you very much john it's been great thank you for having me on your podcast remember you can subscribe for free to get notifications whenever a new episode is released of course reviews and ratings are always welcome and finally if you want to get in touch you can do so by email using lessonsoutside at gmail.com